You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, my friends. Welcome back to the continuation of the Corbett Report podcast. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 5th day of December 2010. I would, of course, like to welcome back all the listeners to this podcast and invite them all, as always, to check into the website CorbettReport.com, where, of course, you can find not only links to my other websites, including AlQaedaDoesn'tExist.com, ReportageBook.com, youtube.com slash corporate report and climategate.tv but also to other websites that i support and that support this website including mediamonarchy.com geopoliticalmonitor.com tragedyandhope.com and oldthinkernews.com as well of course as affiliates of this podcast such as zero point radio at zeropointradio.com and i'd ask all of the people who listen to the corporate report podcast to support those other alternative media outlets without which we would not be able to form a community or have a voice that would make a difference so thank you to all of those who do support sites like the corporate report and of course let me come back and begin this uh the first podcast episode since the hiatus by Thanking all of the people, as always, who have taken the time, effort, energy, and money to donate to the Corbett Report podcast via the PayPal button on the Corbett Report front page, including Darren and Robert from Canada, Harvey, Troy, Leander, James, Elsbieta, Carl, and Kevin from the U.S., Richard from the U.K., Liam from Ireland, and Samuel from Belgium. Your support, as always, is extremely greatly appreciated and really does help to keep this podcast going and the Corbett Report website running. But this week, I would like to ask people not to actually donate money because there's going to be a different way of helping to support the Corbett Report, and I'm going to let you know about that in just a moment. But first, let me, of course, thank you all for tuning in once again after our brief hiatus. Of course, it has been a very crazy few weeks in terms of just uh, the incredible news that's going on. A point that I, a fact that I pointed out on in the zone with uh, Lieutenant Eric Shine, which of course is on Republic Broadcasting and airs every Friday, uh, sorry, Saturday nights at 9 p.m. Pacific time on the RBN network at republicbroadcasting.org. So as always, I'd like people to check in and tune into that program and call in if you want, because there's it's a call-in program. So the uh, In the Zone program is available under the Interviews tab on the Corbett Report. But as I pointed out there, it is just getting crazier and crazier, the information that's coming out, and even taking a couple of weeks hiatus, it seems like I've missed all of this incredibly important information. But of course, I know that the Corbett Report listeners are well-informed and perfectly capable of thinking critically about what the mainstream propaganda media is putting out on their own. So you don't need the Corbett Report, but of course, it's always nice to have alternative media to help sort through this morass of information and what a morass it is. But unfortunately, there will be no Sunday update this week. The Sunday update will be returning next week, That will be Sunday, December 12th, 2010. And as you may have noticed, if you follow the youtube.com slash Corbett Report or the interviews tab, you'll notice that the New World Next Week, our weekly podcast with James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com, is available, was made available last Thursday as regular and will be returning to its regular schedule as well. So I guess it's time to explain what it was that I was taking time off to help do. And basically, there are two main projects that I'd like to unveil right here, right now on the air with you. 
And that is the first one, which you will be noticing very shortly on CorbettReport.com when you go to log on. You'll notice that the old look, feel, and style of the old Corbett Report website will be very, very different very, very soon, as I have been working on that site redesign, which I first announced several months ago, but it's just such a voluminous and really tedious task to transfer all of this information over to a new format, as some of you who have websites might know. So I've been working on that steadily, but uh, certainly in intensifying the efforts over the last couple of weeks, and I have that pretty much ready to go. Uh, but I am also going to, going to be switching to a new web server uh, on a different uh, hosting company. So that that's another added fun factor in the equation that will unfortunately make things a little bit delayed. So I have to make sure that I have to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and make sure everything's working just so before I switch the domain over to the new servers, obviously. So again, it'll be another few days, but you've been waiting patiently this long, so I'm sure you can wait patiently to make sure that I have all the uh, wrinkles ironed out before I put this up, because as you know, of course, this is a very delicate process and it needs to be done quite carefully. So I'll make sure that that's done carefully, and I'll make sure that that's up. And of course, as soon as it is up, I will have a new video out on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Report, explaining all about the new website and what you can find there and how you can navigate around it. So please take a look on youtube.com slash Report for that, and subscribe to my YouTube channel if you haven't done so already, so you can make sure that you get all of the videos as soon as they're released. So that's one aspect of what I was doing on the hiatus, and it's a very important one, and I think uh, will definitely greatly benefit the website in the long run, and uh, I think that you'll find that the new website looks and feels and and operates a lot more cleanly and efficiently, so that is a definite plus. And another thing that I've been working on relates to what I've just mentioned before about not wanting donations this week, because it has always been my intention to be able to provide my listeners with actual valuable information and to provide them with some sort of info bomb or tool or weapon to use in the peaceful, nonviolent info war. And that's exactly what I've been working on in the hiatus. And I'm pleased to announce that I'm almost ready to start shipping a new DVD. It's called the 2009 Video Archive, and it consists of various videos that I recorded or in other or created back in 2009, and which I'm releasing now on DVD for the first time. So you will soon have in full DVD quality all sorts of videos from 2009. Very important videos, too. Basically, this DVD consists of a number of short videos on a very wide range of topics, and they include excerpts from interviews that I conducted with Dr. Tim Ball, formerly of the University of Winnipeg, on the IPCC. We talked to the head of the Hiroshima Peace Institute about Obama and the Peace Prize and war itself. We talked to Dr. Michelle Chosodovsky of the Center for Research on Globalization about the banking crisis. Uh, We talked to Joseph Princiota, a 9-11 victim's family member, who talks about the 9-11 attacks and his investigations into them. There are also re-recorded and better quality versions of old YouTube classics of The Corbett Report, including A Message to the Environmental Movement and Santa Claus Brings 9-11 Truth to Japan. And there's also a very interesting, very in-depth 30-minute uh, video that of an uh, interview that I did with James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com at the very, very, very beginning of this year, way back in January of 2010, where we recorded a half-hour conversation that you have never seen or heard before on the top censored news stories of 2009. I think a very interesting conversation and one that you'll definitely get something out of. So once again, all of that will be on this DVD and it will be available through the website, the newly designed website, very soon, although it is not available yet. So please uh, just hold off a few days. I assure you, once it is available, you will be hearing about it on uh, my videos and, of course, on the podcast in the future as well. So there will be more information coming out about that and all of the videos on there. But one of the other videos that are on this DVD that I'd very much like to share with you today is an interview with myself, an interview conducted by a great friend of mine here in Japan, Jamie Owens, who has been a supporter of the Corbett Report since day one. 
And basically, my, my, one of my best friends here in Japan, someone that I, I rely on a great deal as a sounding board for a lot of the things that I'm working on, and really one of the only, one of the very few human beings on the planet that I know of who has been listening to the Corporate Report podcast since episode one, day one. So he's been an incredible support to the website. And last year, I asked him to record a short interview with me about the Corbett Report website and how I got into this and basically anything that he felt that as a listener to the Corbett Report podcast, he wanted to know about me and my background. And so, because there is no Sunday update today, let's get straight into our episode, which is episode 163 of the Corbett Report, Meet James Corbett. And yes, this is going to be an Basically, the audio of that uh, that interview that Jamie conducted with myself last year, in which he asked me on a basically a wide range of subjects, and we started off talking about myself personally and branched out into the website and all sorts of uh, things that the website deals with. And I've, over the years, of course, had a lot of correspondence from a wide number of people asking for more information about myself personally, because I understand when people encounter this type of information, it's quite overwhelming, and suddenly, of course, you have to start looking into the source of the information and who is telling you this and where they might be coming from and what perspective they might have and what background they have. And there's a lot of human interest in people like myself. And I've often in the past responded by, of course, uh, stressing that this type of information really isn't important, and it's usually used as a way uh, by other people, unscrupulous people, to try to basically dismiss the information by dismissing the messenger. So if you can see that I'm not a climatologist, you might not want to listen to what I have to say on climatology, which, again, I actually wholeheartedly encourage. But, of course, I'm not really the one who's actually putting forward these ideas. I'm merely the one who's the conduit for these types of ideas. So, again, I think there's a lot of politics to be played with this type of identity and identifying with uh, various people in the media and seeing who they are and what their background might be, might say about the perspective they have. And I understand some of it is legitimate human interest, and I, I certainly have that myself with various people in the media, and I'd like to know more about them as a person. So I don't obviously uh, dispute anyone's uh, uh, wish to know about that. It's It's important information. So uh, since I've never really addressed or gone into any great length about myself or my background or anything um, really uh, uh, except to do with the subject matter at hand at any given time, I thought it might be a good idea to take a little bit of a break from the regular episodes here and and have an episode that is just a, a sort of casual conversation, a bit of a back and forth interview uh, a listener of the Corbett Report here in Japan and my good friend Jamie Owens just asking me some questions about myself and my background and the Corbett Report and the topics that we cover. And it's quite a wide-ranging conversation, and I think you'll be able to get some things out of it. So I don't want to talk about it too much. Why don't I just start playing the audio? So I'll uh, play this uh, and let you know that this video will be on the d DVD that I'm talking about and which will be available for order shortly on the Corbett Report website. But uh, it, on the video, it will only be the first uh, 10 or 15 minutes of this uh, interview. But here we're going to be listening to the interview in its entirety. So let's sit back and listen and enjoy this interview where I talk about myself. And this is Jamie Owens interviewing James Corbett of The Corbett Report. So James, it wasn't that long ago where you actually had your uh, 100th podcast. I don't know. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Couple months, I guess. Couple of months, yeah. yeah. So I guess um, from when you did your first podcast to now, like, uh, how, I guess how's it all been going? Well, um, more phenomenal than I could have ever expected. I guess I never expected to be where I am today, doing what I'm doing today, or to be doing something, you know, like this. How, when you say that, it's more than you ever expected. When you initially did your, your very first podcast, what were your expectations? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I had an expectation per se, because I don't think I don't think the podcast was really born of an expectation to to accomplish something in particular, I, I didn't know what I was going to accomplish or if I was going to accomplish anything, but it was more sort of driven by a, not a desire, just a, a need to, to do something with this information that I was learning and 
the, my initial reaction to the information that I was starting to get when I started this podcast and started doing the research for this podcast was that I just wanted to, to get this information out to other people. So my initial reaction was that I would take um, um, MP3s or, or whatever audio of, of things or videos that had affected me and copy them onto CDs or whatever for people and hand them out and, and whatever to give them to my friends, send links via email or whatever. And at some point it just dawned on me that I could probably reach more people by having a website and, and maybe doing something to collate this information. So that was... I mean, there was really not much more thought than that. It was, in fact, I'm not a particularly spontaneous person, but this is one of the few sp sort of spontaneous things I've ever done. I was extremely... I just knew what I wanted the site to look like and how I wanted it to, to feel when I did it. Sure. Okay, well, that's probably a good point to stop and backtrack. So going back to, like, when you, you started doing your research and you... You started finding all this information that you really felt this strong desire to get it out there. So let, let's go back from there. So just going back into a little bit about your background, um, would you mind talking about that? Right, sure. Well, I am i don't know if my background really plays into what I'm doing now, but I guess a lot of people are, are interested in where people come from I and how they so. end up where they Absolutely. are. So I... I um, my background really is that I was a, an English major in university. I was always interested in literature, so I, you know, I actually started out as a physics major in university. But after one semester, I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I really, really wanted to do something more, more creative to feed my creative side. So I went into, I switched to English major, and then I got my degree in English literature. And then um, after that, it was off to Dublin in Ireland. Of course, I'm from Canada, and I had always sort of had an affinity for James Joyce and some of the Irish writers, and there's something about a tiny island nation of a few million people that has produced so many mm. world-class writers that was just really something that drew me. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's just such a, an incredibly artistic and vibrant place, so mm. that was something I wanted to experience, so I got the opportunity. I went to study in Dublin for one year, studied Irish literature, that was incredible. What an excellent opportunity. And um, after that, I was thinking about what to do. And um, someone, uh, it was a chance encounter I had one day on the campus of the university where I was studying, where he said, uh, I asked him what he was doing. He said he was going to um, check possibility for teaching in Asia, teaching English in Asia. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. So from that initial idea, I suddenly decided, well, why not? And I was looking online, next thing I knew I was going back to Canada for a few months and then I came out to Japan and basically been out here for five years or so now. So. Okay. Right. Yeah, great. Alright, so moving forward from that time then where you've, you've arrived in Japan and you're teaching, how did you become interested in this, I, I guess what you yourself call is, is the truth movement, mm -hmm. how did you sort of become involved? How did you become aware of all this? Right. Talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've, I've always been interested in politics, and I come from the, the left side of the political spectrum. I've always been liberal at heart and progressive and, and believed in those causes, and so it was something that I always followed from that perspective, and I've always considered myself to be politically motivated and politically interested, but it wasn't something that I think defined my life in, in the way that it does now. And I, I guess the, the turning point for me was um, in 2006, actually, I, I moved into a new apartment, which is a very prosaic, mundane, everyday kind of thing, but it, I think it really did change my life because this apartment came with an internet connection for free. So suddenly I had internet in my apartment, which I hadn't had for a few years. I had had it before in the past, but in the three or four years or whatever that I hadn't had internet in my apartment, there were things going on online that I didn't know about until I reconnected, which was YouTube and Google Video and podcasting and all of these sorts of syndication and ways of basically communicating directly with, with a wide audience. And I, I think that's you hear a lot of uh, people living, uh, a lot of foreigners living in Japan say the same thing. They sort of get left behind uh, 
in regards to like the arts or right. anything right. of what's happening. Uh, so yeah. For me, for a long time though, that was a kind of a. It was almost like a. It wasn't a bad thing. I didn't think of it as a bad thing because mm. I had my little bubble where I could just read books mm. and and write and things that I was interested in personally. So that was that was okay for me. So what did you first stumble across? I guess uh, that got you interested. That's an excellent question and one that I wish that I knew the answer to. But you I can't remember. I, I can't remember the specific thing that 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 changed my life forever. But it was a series of things, and one of the things was that I was on YouTube a lot. Um, back at that time, obviously, it was an incredible... I mean, back in 2006 especially, it was kind of the wild west of the internet and everything was online because the copyright infringement things hadn't really cracked down too much at YouTube yet. So I was watching Daily Show and things like that. And, you know, things that I would be watching from, from the left side of the political spectrum that was appealed to me, right? And from the related videos of those videos, I, I kept seeing links to various types of things, but one thing that kept coming up was 9-11 related things, things that were in, had to do with 9-11, and I, I was interested in them, so occasionally I would click on them, and they'd often be just really ridiculous things about flying orbs being responsible for the 9-11 events and things like that, and, and it was usually... So that sort of made you look that investigate a little deeper. Well, certainly not those types of videos, but uh, it was... Um, you thought there must be something there it, that it, warrants it, investigation. Well, in fact, it, that was a subject in particular that I had, for years, really been actively opposed to the idea of questioning or investigating or coming up with conspiracy theories about, because it was something that, I mean really obviously affected a lot of people around the world and really affected me, you know, emotionally and psychologically when it happened. When, so. when it did happen, James, mm. did you at all for a minute think uh, that there was some other sort of sinister... Moment? Definitely not, no. That thought did not even cross my mind on that day. I was, I mean, I was still, I was just fresh out of university. I was still a young man and I... I didn't even think to really question what we were being told. So you were quite comfortable with the original findings and Absolutely, followed yeah. the news? And yeah, in fact, I, I read... what you were told? Yes, I did, and I, I even read the 9-11 Commission report when it came out. Um, I remember because it was in, I think it was in the LA Times or something, but I think it was reprinted in a newspaper here in Japan, which is where I read about it. It was a little editorial or a column that was writing about the 9-11 Commission report, and it was this glowing review of how it's it's this... It's written in this wonderful, flowing prose, and it's just such a beautiful, remarkable thing, and it's such a great achievement to collect all this information. And it was, it was just really hyping up the 9-11 Commission report itself, and that got me interested in reading it, so I got it, and I read it, and, you but know, reading time, it. you were skeptical. Not in the least. Okay. I thought, this is, you know, this is incredible, it's really well laid out, all this information. So I, it really didn't occur to me to, to question it, and I was even sort of actively opposed to the idea of questioning 9-11. I thought, you can question many events, but that one seemed to me, one in particular, one that you just shouldn't cross that line because, oh, there you know. Exactly, exactly. A lot of people who were affected. And exactly, so and, and me too. And, I, you know, I was affected when it happened. I, you know, it affected me emotionally. So I, I didn't want to go to that place. And do, it you was, think, do you think you were, when you say you were affected by that very, like, emotionally, mm. Looking back on that now, do you do you think that's what that's resurfaced now recently? Well, since you've been doing your podcast, yeah. Well, that's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, has that particular has that driven me in some way? I don't know. I mean, I I say I was affected emotionally, but I was obviously wasn't affected personally by that incident. So I can't really imagine the people who actually lost family members or something what they must go through. And when they start discovering some of the information that I cover in the podcast, so I I don't know if I can relate to it on that level, but okay. So moving back to to where you were, mm. starting to to find all this this new information mm -hmm. relating to to nine eleven. I get, like you said, there was no key moment. There was no well. There was so I the first thing that I remember 
specifically noting and thinking that was interesting was a documentary called 9-11 Mysteries, and it was about the de demolitions of the World Trade Center. And that was something that was presented in a, a way that I guess didn't turn me off. It didn't I, I, I was interested enough to continue researching. I, I probably, I don't remember, but I probably saw a related video somewhere that was just a short clip from that, and from that short clip I was interested enough and motivated enough to look for the documentary. And once, I think really once I started on that process of actually trying to search out some of that information, it's a snowball. I mean, yeah. once you start, start looking at some of this information and you realize there's something to it, then you look at more and more and more, and it's, yeah, exactly. And that's where I, how I've ended up here, really. Sure, sure. So I guess 9-11 was a catalyst for your podcast. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the first episode was about 9-11, and that was, that was definitely the first thing that I wanted to cover. Sure. In fact, if you look at the first ten episodes of the podcast, I, in the mindset I was in, and the, the level of understanding I was in at the time when I started the podcast, I really truly felt that, you know, this could be, time is of the essence, and who knows how long we have until the next manufactured event comes along. So it was truly something I was thinking about, you know, trying to cover some of the most important, th what I thought were some of the most important things first. Mm -hmm. Because who knows, you know, what's going to happen in the news to change things later on, so mm -hmm. might as well really establish the groundwork. So if you look back at the first ten episodes, they're certainly not very polished, but they definitely cover what I thought at that time were the absolute basics of what I wanted to do with the podcast. And I think it's, I mean, certainly the topics have held up fairly well and have covered a lot of the bases that I've covered since then and fleshed out in, I hope, greater detail since then. Yeah, well, that's right. And, and yeah, clearly your, your, your podcast has changed and uh, the topics you cover. So we, I guess we've, we've looked at what sort of got you going, what, what got you started with your, your podcast now now we're here in uh, almost December 2009 how would you now describe yourself what what you're doing and uh, you know for someone you know you might be meeting for the first time or somebody watching this for the first time I mean simply how would you describe what you're doing, what, what, what your podcast, what your website's about, if you were to simplify it? I guess, what's it about or what am I doing? I think those are, might be two different questions, because okay. what, what, the, what the website is about is obviously trying to convey the types of information that we're not being fed through certain you know, corporate-controlled or foundation-funded media. The, the types of things that you're not going to encounter if you flip on the TV or open a newspaper. That's, I mean, that's the, the subject of what it's about. But I guess what I'm doing is... I, I, this sound, might sound self-aggrandizing or something, but I don't think of it in that way. I think I'm trying to become the media in some way, trying to replace the media. And I don't think of myself as a you know, unique person in that. I think the technology that we have we have at our fingertips right now that the average man and woman in the developed world has in order to, to actually really broadcast their message to literally millions of people around the world is phenomenal. It's incredible. It would have been unthinkable at any other time in human history. So what I'm doing is simply trying to take advantage of what we have right now. And I, I don't think of myself as unique in that way. I think together as a, as a society, as a civilization, we're really at a at a stage where we're, we're just finding out different ways of, of really communicating, distributing, understanding, collecting information and knowledge. And I, I'm one part of that, a tiny little part of it, but that's, I guess that's what I see what I'm doing. So do you see yourself, I guess, as sort of a complementary news service? How, how do you get across to... Uh, you know, mum and dad who sit down every night to watch the 7 o'clock news, what's usually, I guess, a commercial news network. Uh, how do you get that audience listening to you? That's an excellent question, and one that I don't know if I can... I don't know if I know the answer to that. I would, I mean, I would assume that, because everything that I've done hitherto has been really online, it's really been... 
you know, through the podcast, through videos on YouTube and that type of thing. It's all been an online presence. So I don't know how my work is getting offline. I know that some of my listeners say that they, they copy CDs and hand them out to people and that type of thing, which is incredible and means that the, the podcast and things that I'm doing get out further than I think I'll ever be able to calculate sure, or know. Sure. So I, can, I guess I can physically reach people in that way, but how do you, I guess, break through some of the, the mental programming that people get from... That's right, because, I mean, let's face it, most of the people get their venues through CNN or, you know, their particular mm-hmm. commercial right. TV station. And it's a common theme of yours, James, that you talk about the mainstream media and how, you know, they don't present the full picture. I'm just curious how you might convince those people that... This is not the full. This is not what you're getting. How do you get those people listening to you and, and realizing that that, that mainstream media right. is not you know, the, the, the full the full story? Right. Well, that's an important. That's a very important question, and one that if I had the answer to, I think maybe I'd be in a different place. But I, I, I guess I'm developing the answer. I'm trying to understand the answer to that myself. And what is the best way to reach people to really actually? shake people out of their slumber and and show them that there is more than what they're seeing and of course I don't have the answer to that I don't cuz I guess my my opinion on that goes more to ideology because I really believe that the power of this sort of social media and decentralized media which is what YouTube and things like that represent is that you can have as many different people collecting and distributing this information as there are people using the service, which obviously means that there are so many different ways of presenting this material. I mean, you can have the same exact same story, but obviously I'm going to present it in a very different way than someone else, right? So, I guess uh, some people look at that as a bad thing, because I know that there are, there are people out there who are in a mindset that if they see something, even if it's something they agree with, if they see it presented in a way that they disagree with, their reaction is to critique or to criticize what that person is doing. But I look at that as, an, as a great thing. I think that, in fact, if there's anything that's really going to save us from this centralization of control and power in the hands of fewer and fewer people, it's this incredible decentralization, which means that there will be people doing things in ways that I wouldn't do, I wouldn't agree with even, things that I think, you know, solely the, the, the information or whatever, but I don't think of that as a bad thing because I know that no matter how people present it, it's going to connect with some people, right? So I, I can connect with certain kinds of people. I don't know what my audience looks like, but... Sure. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Go for it, yeah. Well, while you're talking about mm-hmm. certain kinds of people, there's one certain kind of person I... Yeah, I'd, I'd like to address, and and that's I guess people who might be quite dismissive to what you're doing, and mm. I'm, I'm sure with feedback you get to your website or mm. your YouTube channel, obviously you know you, you do get feedback from these kind of people. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a personal experience. Um, when I told somebody I, I was actually meeting you and we'd be having a discussion, and you know we'd be recording it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the person just sort of quickly, dismissively said, oh, what are you going to talk about? Are you going to talk about that global warming conspiracy, the global warming cover-up? Which, ironically, was about two days before the um, University of East Anglia's uh, servers were hacked into and the infamous emails Mm. uh, that have been leaked onto the internet, which, yeah, was very, very ironic. how do you get to those people that are almost not willing to listen? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the point, right? I mean, someone, someone who isn't willing to listen, it, how are you going to reach that person? I don't, I don't see it as my responsibility to necessarily get people to listen or to get people to believe. I'm not here to convince people of something. My role, or I see my role more as being just giving information. I'm disseminating information that I've collected. And obviously it goes through my filters and my discernment and what I think is valuable and or not valuable information. So it's 
if people connect with the types of stories and things that I connect with, that's great. If they don't, I can't. How can I, how can I make someone see my point of view? Why, why do you think you get people like that? People who instantly raised their hand and just said, oh my God, is this like another one of those 9-11 conspiracies? Mm. Is, this a, is this another conspiracy theory? Mm. And they, they do raise their hand like to stop you from mm. speaking. Why do you think there are people like that? And there, of which there are many, I'm sure right. you'll agree. Well, there are lots of different reasons, I guess, that you can imagine. But, I mean, it, people who are invested in a system in some way, psychologically or uh, in terms of their monetary position or whatever it may be, if they're happy in the place that they are, then they're going to be less likely to, to look at alternative ideas about the system that they're in or anything that might rock the boat of their world. So I guess that might say something about the types of people who are interested in this information. Does that, I mean, is there some sort of psychological makeup that you could generalize about people who are interested or not interested? I, I don't know. I mean, I, there's so many different factors that go into that. I mean, there's... Absolutely. There's uh, Michael Shermer, and I think we know yeah. a, a particular article mm. he wrote, and I could see what he was actually saying, and I think you'll agree when you're talking about what you're involved with and, you know, I guess what he might call uh, the people who are into conspiracy theories, uh, would you agree that there are, there's a percentage out there of people who would readily jump onto the conspiracy theory bandwagon of almost any major, uh, whether it be a terrorist event, whether it be, uh, you know, quote, accident, right. uh, or, you yeah. know, involving some, you know, some sort of disaster or you know, crime or mm-hmm. motorcycle, so mm-hmm. very quick to jump onto the, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, absolutely. Now, like, now, as someone who represents the truth movement, and I think Sherman, in my opinion, did have a point that there are people who foul the pool, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, do you think that's a... a a possible reason why some people do object so much to conspiracy theories. Absolutely. Well, I'm not. I'm not. Um, I don't think I'm. I'm oblivious to the the problems of of the conspiracy theorist world. And obviously, I know. You know. You know that I have problems with that term, and I think it's used in a way to categorize things that and lump things together in in certain ways. But let's let's take it as the way it's generally meant. And, Absolutely. And I I understand that. The, from that perspective, the conspiracy theorist world has the same types of problems that the other side of that debate would have. The, that was the, my next in, point, what, what we're talking about, the, the skeptical side, mm. which is, we, I guess there are very clearly defined images of, ah, this person's obviously a conspiracy theorist, this person's a skeptic, and, mm-hmm. and I don't think they're fair representations. I don't think so, too. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people who sort of fall in between what might be considered a sceptic. And in many ways, James, uh, I think I've communicated this to you in the past, in a way, you're a sceptic. I, I consider myself to you, be a sceptic. You, uh, you doubt the official version of events of, you know... Right. But I, I see the point that you're making, and I'm not... I'm not well, I guess that was part of Shermer's point. As you know, that article got on my nerves for a number of reasons. But I, 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 I certainly understand the point that you, you're making there, that there are, there certainly is that element of, of conspiracy theorizing that does become completely and utterly to the point where it's, it's not rational, it's not scientific in any way that would, that would um, be disprovable. So one of my arguments against things like, for example, man-made global warming is, or should I say man-made climate change, is that it's not disprovable. There's nothing you could imagine happening in the climate that would disprove that theory. So what's the use of the theory? It doesn't tell us anything. So in the same way, I understand, I, I'm not oblivious to the fact that there are there is a theory of overarching control of the entire world that does not allow for any type of happenstance, does not allow for anything to happen that is not part of that controlled conspiracy. And I understand that that's something that, that we can look at skeptically. We can, we can say, well, 
you know, not everything that occurs in the world has to be part of, you know, the New World Order or the Illuminati or whatever people think is a controlling force. There are things that happen, right? And so th there has to be an awareness of that, I guess, that blind spot in what could be, I guess, there, you know, in what people say pejoratively is conspiracy theorizing is to, I guess, in my mind, I guess that could relate to the people who say that everything that happens is because of this. And that is where it starts to get into the factionalization. You have the people who believe it's the lizards from planet Zorgon who are behind everything or whatever. So, and there's nothing that you could say to ever disprove that to someone. There's no way to disprove it. So, And, and, and that comes back to this whole, uh, I think society is so quick to pigeonhole people is he's a leftist, he's a right, he's a skeptic, he's a... When, actually, in fact, I think there's a lot of blurring, there's a lot of overlapping. Um, I would be, I think I would be more concerned about the people who categorically and unequivocally say, I am this. That's right, right because once you pigeonhole yourself as that, you can almost see those people when you're talking to them, it's like, hang on, I'm coming from the left, how should I answer mm. that question? You can see it all the time. Yeah, and I, it. yeah, I, I, I can relate to that because I think I used to be in that in that mm. space. I used to be on the left side of yeah. the spectrum, so everything I thought had to be does this sort of jive with that. Checking the mental reference. Exactly. How, uh, how, exactly. Uh, how yeah. a lefty should respond to that question. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's, it's Maybe it's not even the fact that I'm saying I'm above that now, right? I mean, there's still, there's always a, a ideology that we're working from, mm. and we always have to check our reality versus the ideology. And I guess there are moments or points where it can become paradigm shifting, that we receive information that just cannot be worked into our, our understanding of the world, and that's the point where you're going to have the fundamental significant shift. So that's the kind of thing that happened when I started researching the type of thing that led me to this podcast. And it broke me out of that left-right political spectrum, which, was, which I now see so clearly. I, see, I really see clearly how it controls people. It controls people's minds. It controls the way they look at the world. It controls what they're allowed to think, what they're not allowed to think. And I, I've encountered that a lot now. And that's something that I actually specifically am trying to address more and more in my work, and I hope that I can find some way of, of really showing people that there might be another dimension to politics, that left and right is not the entire political universe. And if I could shake someone out of that belief, then you know, that's an incredible thing. So I don't know how to do that, but I'm working on it. And there you are, my good friend Jamie Owens interviewing myself, James Corbett, about the Corbett Report, about my background, about the beginnings of the website, and about where I hope that the website is going in the future. And I trust that you'll find that that was a pretty wide-ranging and interesting conversation, and I'm glad it was conducted, because it's uh, always good to, to step back from time to time and reflect on what we're doing and what the purpose of all this really is. So that was me back in December of 2000, or perhaps late November of early, of 2009, reflecting and cogitating on the past and future of the Corbett Report. And here I am in December of 2010. And as I mentioned, that uh, video or that interview will be available as a uh, video on the DVD, or at least the first uh, 12 or so minutes of that interview will be available as a video on the DVD that I will be releasing through the website soon. So that and many other videos will be on this uh, DVD. Besides, I'm going to try to cram in as much as I can onto this DVD, as much as will possibly fit on there. And I plan to offer it out through the website very soon. So there will be a way for you to get your hands on a copy of that, and it will be available for $15. And at the time being, I only have a way to accept PayPal payments. And uh, PayPal, of course, will let you do credit card payments and other such things. But unfortunately, I can't take money orders or um, postal uh, orders or anything of that sort at the moment. But uh, again, all of these details will be forthcoming, and I guarantee you that you will be getting more information about this uh, through the podcast and through videos when and, when and as it's available. But I would just like to take a moment to, to pause and to reflect on why this is important and why I'm doing this DVD, and it's really for a number of reasons. Firstly, as I said, uh, I've always intended for people not to just simply donate money to the website, but to actually get something out from the money that they invest in the website. And 
this is as good a way as any for me to put something valuable and something of real information that you can then buy, uh, take and then of course, I encourage, wholeheartedly encourage people to take these DVDs and make copies of them and hand them out to people for free. That's what it's for. These are tools for you to use in hopefully helping to unlock people's minds and get them to see that there's more going on than they're being told. And hopefully we can work on creating this society that we want to live in by helping people to realize that they are not living in the society that they're being told that they're living in. So that's one reason for doing the DVD. Another reason, of course, is to uh, get offline. As I mentioned in that interview, everything that I do and everything I've done and the Corbett Report itself and all of my work really is online. And I've been branching out with uh, radio appearances on Republic Broadcasting and other such uh, things. But really, this is one of the first things that I've offered that is something that's taking some of the knowledge and information that I've gleaned and putting it in a format that will survive the internet apocalypse that seems drawing closer and closer, as we've seen recently with the Department of Homeland Security taking the unbelievable step of seizing domain names of uh, people who have been deemed to be offenders against the U.S. government. So once we see more and more of that, we can... Well, who knows what the future holds, but uh, we know that this incredible freedom of speech that has pertained on the internet is a, just a brief window of opportunity unless we fight with all of our might against the centralization of control and the power to shut down the internet. So it's very valuable that we be making sure that we have contingency plans for when and if the internet starts to get shut down in key ways. And this is one way of taking some of that data and putting it offline and helping people to spread it around in the real world where we actually do exist when we don't have our heads in our latest version of the iPhone or whatever we might have on our persons. And the other reason for really doing this DVD is to start building the monetary base through which I hope I can really start to truly expand what I'm doing here at the Corbett Report because if you take a moment to step back, and I'm not saying this in a self-aggrandizing way in any way, shape, or form, but it's even a little bit amazing for me to step back and think that all of the information on the Corbett Report, all of the episodes and interviews and articles and videos that so far have literally reached millions of people around the world, all of that work, the hundreds and hundreds of hours of media that I have produced over the last three, three and a half years now at the Corbett Report has been done in my spare time. I work a nine-to-five job. As I said in that uh, interview, that I am an elementary school and junior high school English teacher here in Japan. And uh, I have a nine-to-five job, and I have a home life. I have a wife here in Japan who I obviously don't spend enough time with because I'm doing this in every spare moment of pretty much every day. And it's, uh, it's quite amazing to think about. And if I can accomplish all of this in my spare time, well, just imagine what I'll be able to accomplish if I can actually make this into my full-time occupation. So as one small step on the road to getting somewhere where I might be able to start teaching part-time and doing the website full-time, I'm starting to, to do this DVD, and there will be other things that I'll be offering in the future as a way to for people out there to monetarily support what I'm doing and to get information that they can then use to help unlock other people's minds and information that I'm sure that you and uh, whoever is out there will find useful as well, even if you do follow the Corbett Report. So I really do think this is win-win-win for everyone, and I'm very glad that all of you out there have found the Corbett Report and are continuing to listen because it is so important for us to have this outlet and other media outlets through which we can resist what's happening right now because there are so many different controlled oppositions and controlled medias out there that it's important that we uh, get out there and start doing this for ourselves. So once again, I'd like to stress that what I'm doing is absolutely nothing special whatsoever. I'm just doing what I can. So if you want to help support that, then please, by all means, help support me and get a copy of this DVD once it is available later this week. But at any rate, I will leave things there for now. I think that's uh, just about enough of me and uh, about me, because uh, this is obviously not what the Corbett Report is essentially or fundamentally about. But again, it is important from time to time to step back and think about these types of topics and think about where we are and where we're going so that we can better uh, find out how to get there. 
And on that note, I will, of course, as I say, be continuing the Sunday Update series next week. And their New World Next Week, of course, is already on its weekly regular schedule. And the podcast, of course, will be returning with a regular uh, uh, podcast episode. We'll be having a Documentaries That Matter episode as the midweek, episode 164. And then next Sunday, we'll be back with episode 165 of the Corbett Report podcast, How to Talk to Others. Until then, I'm going to leave you with, well, since this is an episode about me and it's a little bit self-indulgent, well, why not? For the first and only time ever on The Corbett Report, I'm going to play a song for absolutely no other reason than because I want to and because it's a good song. And, well, by the way, because it'll annoy Jamie, so, haha. At any rate, thank you all to everyone out there for continuing to listen to the Corbett Report podcast, and I'd like to invite you all, as always, to check into the website and to make sure that you're subscribed to the feeds, including the interviews feed, because I just had a very interesting conversation with the extremely interesting JFK researcher, John Hankey, that I highly suggest people go and download. But until next time, thank you for joining me, and thank you for supporting the Corbett Report. I was watching with one eye on the other side. I had 15 people telling me to move. I got moving on my mind. I found shelter in some thoughts turning wheels around. I said 39 times that I love you to the beauty I had found. Well, it's one, two, three, four. Take the elevator at the hotel. You're about to glad to see you later. Let's get married in a big